friends, and welcome back to Bitching About the Mabinogion. I hope you enjoyed our live episodes, I certainly did. And I hope you're ready to return to some longer stories. Our story for this week is Geraint, Son of Erbin. It's probably going to take us two or three episodes to get through this one, but it's the last of the long Arthurian stories. There's one more Arthurian story after this, and then we can head into a completely different set with a new set of characters to be annoyed by. Here we go. It was Arthur's custom to hold court at Caerlion Narwisk, and he held it there continually for seven Easters and five Christmases. Once upon a time he held court there at Whitsuntide, for Caerlion was the most accessible place in his territory by sea and by land. He gathered about him there nine crowned kings who were vassals of his, and with them earls and barons, because these would be his guests at every high feast unless pressure of circumstances prevented them. Whenever he was at Caerlion holding court, thirteen churches would be taken up with his masses. This is how they would be used. A church for Arthur and his kings and his guests, and the second for Gwenhuvar and her ladies, and the third would be for the steward and the petitioners, and the fourth for Oriar the Frank and the other officers. Nine other churches would be set aside for the nine captains of the bodyguard, and for Gwalchmai above all, for he, on account of his excellent reputation for military feats and his honourable pedigree, was chief of the nine captains of the bodyguard. And not one church would hold more than we have mentioned above. Gleulwid Gavalvar was his chief gatekeeper, but he did not concern himself with the office save at one of the three high feasts, but seven men who served under him would share the duties of the year between them, namely Grin and Penpingion and Fleiskermen and Gokivulch and Gursnailhligaid Kath, who could see as well by night as by day, and Tdrem son of Tremidith and Clist son of Clistfenith, who were warriors of Arthur's. On which Tuesday, as the emperor was sitting at his feast, behold, a tall, auburn-haired lad entered, wearing a tunic and surcoat of ribbed brocaded silk, and a gold-hilted sword around his neck, and two low boots of cordovan leather on his feet. And he came up to Arthur. Greetings, lord, he said. May God prosper you, Arthur replied, and God's welcome to you. And do you have any fresh news? I do, lord, he replied. I do not recognize you, said Arthur. Now I am surprised that you do not recognize me. I am a forester of yours, lord, in the forest of Dean. Madog is my name, son of Turgadarn. Tell us your news, said Arthur. I will, lord, he said. A stag have I seen in the forest, and I have never in my life seen anything like it. What is there about it for you to never to have seen anything like it? said Arthur. It is pure white, lord, and it does not walk with any other animal out of arrogance and pride because it is so majestic, and it is to ask your advice, lord, that I have come. What is your advice on the matter? I shall do the most appropriate thing, said Arthur, and go and hunt it tomorrow at dawn, and let everyone in the lodgings know that, and Treveris, who was a chief huntsman of Arthur's, and Alivri, who was the chief squire, and everyone else. They agreed on that, and he sent the squire on ahead. Then Gwenhovar said to Arthur, Lord, she said, 
Will you let me go tomorrow and watch and listen to the hunting of the stag which the squire spoke of? I will, gladly, said Arthur. Then I will go, she said. Then Gwalchmai said to Arthur, Lord, he said, would it not be appropriate for you to allow the one who catches the stag while hunting to cut off its head and give it to anyone he wishes, either to his own lover or the lover of a friend of his, whether it is a mounted man or a man on foot? I will allow that gladly, said Arthur, and let the steward take the blame if everyone is not ready in the morning to go hunting. They spent the night in moderation, with songs and entertainment and stories and abundant service, and when they all thought it was time to go to sleep, they went to bed. When dawn broke the next day, they woke up, and Arthur called on the servants who were in charge of his bed, namely four squires. This is who they were. Kadiriath son of Porthor Gandwi, and Amren son of Bedwir, and Amhar son of Arthur, and Gorai son of Kistenin. These men came to Arthur, and greeted him, and dressed him. And Arthur was surprised that Guenovar had not woken up, and had not turned over in her bed. The men wanted to wake her. Do not wake her, said Arthur, since she would rather sleep than go and watch the hunt. Then Arthur went on his way and he could hear two horns sounding, one near the lodging of the chief huntsman, and the other near the lodging of the chief squire, and a full complement of all the men came to Arthur, and they travelled towards the forest, and crossing the whisk they made for the forest and left the high road and travelled exposed high land until they came to the forest. After Arthur had left the court, Gwenhovar woke up, and she called her maidens and got dressed. Maidens, she said, I was given permission last night to go and watch the hunt. One of you go to the stable and have brought all the horses suitable for women to ride. One of them went, but only two horses were found in the stable. So Gwenhovar and one of the maidens went off on the two horses. They crossed through the whisk and followed the trail and tracks of the men and the horses. As they were travelling thus, they could hear a mighty ferocious noise. They looked behind them and could see a rider on a willow-grey colt, enormous in size, a young, auburn-haired, bare-legged noble squire with a gold-hilted sword on his thigh, wearing a tunic and surcoat of brocaded silk with two low boots of cordovan leather on his feet, and a mantle of blue-purple over that, with a golden apple in each corner. The horse was tall and stately, swift and lively, with a short, steady step. The rider caught up with Gwenhavar and greeted her, May God be good to you, Geraint, she replied, and I recognise you when I first saw you just now, and God's welcome to you. And why did you not go hunting with your lord? Because I didn't realise that he had left, he said. I too was surprised that he could have gone without my knowing, she said. Yes, lady, Geraint said. I was also asleep, so did not know what time he left. In my opinion... Of all the young men in the whole kingdom, you are the best companion to have as my escort, she said, and we could have as much pleasure from the hunting as they do, because we shall hear the horns when they are sounded, and hear the hounds when they are unleashed and begin to bark. They came to the edge of the forest, and there they stopped. We shall hear when the hounds are unleashed from here, she said. Suddenly they heard a noise. They looked in the direction of the noise, and they could see a dwarf riding a big, sturdy horse, powerful, wide-nostrilled, ground-devouring, courageous, and in the dwarf's hand there was a whip. Near the dwarf they could see a woman on a horse, pale white and handsome, with pace smooth and stately, 
and she was dressed in a golden garment of brocaded silk. And close to her a knight on a great muddy charger, with heavy shining armour on him and his horse. And they were sure that they had never seen a man and horse and armour whose size impressed them more, and all riding close together. Geraint, said Guenrevar, do you recognise the large knight over there? No, he replied. That massive, strange armour allows neither his face nor his features to be seen. Go, maiden, said Guenrevar to her companion, and ask the dwarf who the knight is. The maiden went to meet the dwarf. The dwarf waited for the maiden when he saw her approaching him, and she asked the dwarf, Who is the knight? she said. I will not tell you that, he said. Since you are so bad-mannered that you will not tell me that, she said, I will ask him personally. You will not, by my faith, he replied. Why? she said. Because your status is not that of a person for whom it is proper to speak with my lord. Then the maiden turned her horse's head towards the knight. With that the dwarf struck her with the whip that was in his hand across her face so that the blood flowed. Because of the pain from the blow, the maiden returned to Guenrevara, complaining of the pain. The dwarf behaved towards you in a very ugly way, said Geraint. I shall go, he said, and find out who the knight is. Go, said Guenrevara. Geraint came to the dwarf. He said, Who is the knight? I will not tell you, said the dwarf. I will ask it of the knight personally, he replied. You will not, by my faith, said the dwarf. Your status is not high enough to entitle you to speak with my lord. I, said Geraint, have spoke with a man who is as good as your lord, and he turned his horse's head towards the knight. The dwarf overtook him and struck him where he had struck the maiden, until the blood stained the mantle that Geraint was wearing. Geraint placed his hand on the hilt of his sword and turned things over in his head, but decided that it was no revenge for him to kill the dwarf while the armed knight could take him cheaply and without armour. He returned to Guenreval. "'You behaved wisely and prudently,' she said. "'Lady,' he said, "'I shall go after him again, with your permission, and he will come eventually to a place that is inhabited, where I shall find armour, either on loan or in exchange for surety, so that I shall get the opportunity to test myself against the knight.' "'Go, then,' she said, but do not go too close to him until you get good armour. And I shall worry a great deal about you, she said, until I get news of you. If I am still alive, by late afternoon tomorrow you shall have news, if I survive, he said. Then he set off. They travelled below the court at Caerleon, and to the ford over the Wisk, crossed over, and travelled along a fair plain, very high and elevated, until they came to a walled town. At the end of the town they could see a fortress and a castle. They came to the end of the town. As the knight rode through the town, the people of every house would rise to their feet to greet and welcome him. When Geraint came to the town, he looked in every house to see whether he recognised anyone. But he recognised no one, nor anyone him, so that he might secure a favour of armour, either on loan or in exchange for surety. But he could see that every house was full of men and armour and horses, and shields being polished, and swords burnished, and armour cleaned, and horses shod. The knight and the lady and the dwarf made for the castle that was in the town. Everyone in the castle was happy to see them, and on the battlements and on the gates and in every direction people were craning their necks to greet and welcome them. Good knight stood and looked to see whether the knight would stay in the castle. 
When he knew for sure that he was staying, Geraint looked around him. And he could see, a short distance from the town, an old run-down court, and in it a dilapidated hall. Since he knew no one in the town, he went towards the old court. When he got to the court, he could see hardly anything, but he saw an upper story and a stairway of marble coming down from the upper story. On the stairway sat a grey-haired man wearing old, worn-out clothes. Geraint stared hard at him for a long while. The grey-haired man said to him, "'Squire,' he said, "'what are you thinking?' "'I am thinking that I don't know where I shall stay tonight,' he said. "'Won't you come in here, Lord?' he said, "'and you shall have the best we can provide for you.' "'I will,' he replied, "'and may God repay you.' Poor old guy, though. Like, imagine you're just sort of sitting on the steps outside your house, and some stranger comes riding by and stares at you for, like, three minutes... And then you're like, hey, dude, what are you thinking of? And he's like, oh, I was just thinking that I don't, you know, have anywhere to stay, hint, hint. Bit awkward. Geraint came forward, and the grey-haired man went to the hall ahead of him. Geraint dismounted in the hall and left his horse there and proceeded to the upper story, he and the grey-haired man. And in the chamber he could see an elderly woman sitting on a cushion dressed in old, shabby clothes of brocaded silk. When she had been in the flush of her youth, he thought it likely that no one would have seen a fairer woman than she. There was a maiden beside her, dressed in a smock and a linen mantle which was quite old and beginning to fall apart. And the fact that it's linen, by the way, is also telling. You wouldn't wear a linen mantle. That's weird. You would always use wool. So... This is not someone, and particularly in comparison to all of the brocaded silk that's going around. She's very, very poorly dressed. And Geraint was sure that he had never seen any maiden more perfect as regards beauty and elegance and grace than she. The grey-haired man said to the maiden, There is no groom for this squire's horse tonight apart from you. I shall give the best service that I can, she said, both to him and to his horse. The maiden took off the squire's shoes, and then gave the horse his fill of straw and corn, and made her way back to the hall and returned to the upstairs chamber. Then the grey-haired man said to the maiden, Go to the town, he said, and the best provision you can get of food and drink have it brought here. I will gladly, she said. The maiden went to the town, and they conversed while the maiden was in the town. Soon, behold, the maiden returned and a servant with her, and a flagon on his back full of bought mead, and a quarter of a young bullock. In the maiden's hands there was a portion of white bread, and a loaf of the finest wheat in her linen mantle. She came to the upstairs chamber. I could not find any better provision than this, she said, nor could I get credit for anything better. It will do very well, said Geraint. They had the meat boiled, and when their food was ready they went to sit down. Geraint sat between the grey-haired man and his wife, and the maiden waited on them, and they ate and drank. When they had finished eating, Geraint began to converse with the grey-haired man, and asked him if he was the first to own the court he was in. "'It is I, indeed, who built it,' he said, "'and I own the town with the castle that you have seen.' "'Alas, sir,' said Geraint, "'why did you lose that?' "'I lost a large earldom, too,' he replied." and this is why I lost it. 
I had a nephew, a brother's son, and I took possession of his kingdom and my own. And when he came to maturity, he laid claim to his kingdom, but I kept his kingdom from him. So what he did was to wage war on me and take everything that was under my control. Lord, said Geraint, will you tell me about the arrival of the knight who came to the town earlier, and the lady and the dwarf, and why there is all the preparation that I saw for repairing weapons? I will, he said. It is preparation for tomorrow, for a game that the young earl plays, namely to set up two forks in a meadow over there, and on the two forks a silver rod. And a sparrowhawk will be placed on the rod, and a tournament will take place for the sparrowhawk. And the entire crowd of men and horses and weapons that you saw in the town will come to the tournament, and the woman he loves most will accompany each man. And any man who is not accompanied by the woman he loves most will not be allowed to joust with the sparrowhawk, and the knight you saw has won the sparrowhawk for two years, and if he wins it for a third it will be sent to him every year after that, and he himself will not have to come here, and he will be called the knight of the sparrowhawk from then on. Lord, said Geraint, what is your advice to me regarding that knight and the insult that I, and a maidservant of Gwenwavar, Arthur's wife, received from the dwarf? And Geraint told the grey-haired man the story of the insult. I cannot easily advise you, since there is neither a woman nor a maiden that you champion in order that you might go and joust with him. Those weapons there that were mine, you could have those, and if you preferred, you could also have my horse rather than your own. Lord, Geraint replied, may God repay you. My own horse is good enough for me, I am used to him, together with your armour. And will you not allow me, Lord, to champion that maiden over there, your daughter, at the appointed hour tomorrow? And if I survive the tournament, my loyalty and love will be hers as long as I live. If I do not survive, the maiden will be as chaste as before. I will agree to that gladly, said the grey-haired man. And since you are decided on that course of action, early tomorrow morning your horse and armour will need to be ready, for it is then that the knight of the sparrowhawk will make a proclamation. Namely, he will ask the woman he loves best to take the sparrowhawk, since it becomes you best and you won it, he will say, a year and two years ago. If there is anyone who denies it to you today by force, I will defend it for you. And because of that, said the grey-haired man, you must be there at daybreak, and the three of us will be with you. They decided on that, and at that hour of the night they went to sleep. Before daybreak they arose and got dressed. By the time it was day, all four were standing on the bank of the meadow. Then the knight of the sparrowhawk was making the proclamation, and asking his lady to take the sparrowhawk. "'Do not take it,' said Geraint. "'There is here a maiden who is fairer and more beautiful and more noble than you, and has a better claim to it. "'If you consider the sparrowhawk to be hers, come forward to joust with me.' Geraint went forward to the end of the meadow equipped with a horse, and heavy, rusty, worthless, strange armour about him and his horse and they charged each other, and broke a set of lances, and broke the second, and broke the third set, and that alternately, and they broke them as they were brought to them. When the earl and his followers would see the knight of the sparrowhawk getting the better of Geraint, they would be shouting and rejoicing and jubilation from him and his followers, and the grey-haired man and his wife and his daughter would be sad. The grey-haired man served Geraint with the lances as he broke them, and the dwarf served the knight of the sparrowhawk. Then the grey-haired man came to Geraint. Lord, he said, here is a lance that was in my hand the day I was ordained a knight, and from that day to this I have not broken it, 
and there is an excellent head to it, seeing that no lance has availed you. Gunite took the lance, thanking the grey-haired man for it. Then, behold, the dwarf came to his lord, he too, with a lance. Here is a lance that is just as good, said the dwarf, and remember that no knight has ever stood up to you as long as this one. Between me and God, said Gerite, unless sudden death takes me, he will be none the better for your help. At a distance from him, Geraint spurred his horse and charged him, warning him and striking him a blow severe and keen, bloody and bold in the strongest part of his shield, so that his shield splits and the armour breaks in the direction of the attack, and the girths break so that he and his saddle are thrown over the horse's crupper to the ground. Quickly, Geraint dismounted and became angry, and drew his sword and attacked him, furious and fierce. Then the knight got up and drew another sword against Geraint, and they pounded each other on foot with swords until each one's armour was smashed by the other, and until the sweat and the blood were taking away the vision from their eyes. When Geraint had the upper hand, the grey-haired man and his wife and his daughter would rejoice, and when the knight had the upper hand, the earl and his followers would rejoice. When the grey-haired man saw that Geraint had received a mighty harsh blow, he approached him quickly and said to him, Lord, he said, keep in mind the insult you received from the dwarf. And did you not come here to try and avenge your insult, and the insult to Gwenruva, Arthur's wife? There came to Geraint's mind the dwarf's words to him, and he summoned up his strength and raised his sword and struck the knight on the top of his head so that all the armour on his head shatters and all the flesh splits and the skin, and it pierces the bone and the knight falls on his knees. He throws his sword away and asks Geraint for mercy. And my false pride and arrogance have prevented me from asking for mercy until it is too late, he said. And unless I receive respite to engage with God for my sins and to talk with a priest, I am none the better for being spared. I shall show you mercy on these conditions, said Geraint, that you go to Gwenhuvar, Arthur's wife, to make amends to her for the insult done to the maiden by the dwarf. I am satisfied with what I have done to you in return for the insult I received from you and your dwarf and that you do not dismount from the time you leave here until you are in Gwenhuvar's presence to make amends to her, as will be decided in Arthur's court. I will do that gladly. And who are you? he said. I am Geraint, son of Erbin. And you, too, say who you are. I am Edern, son of Nith. Then he was thrown on his horse, and he came to Arthur's court, and the woman he loved most riding ahead of him and his dwarf amidst loud lamentation. The story so far. Then the young earl and his men came to Geraint and greeted him and invited him along to the castle. No, said Geraint, where I stayed last night, I will go tonight. Though you refuse the invitation, you will surely not refuse a plentiful supply of what I can have prepared for you in the place where you stayed last night, and I will arrange a bath for you and throw off your weariness and exhaustion. God repay you, said Geraint, and I will go to my lodging. So Geraint went, and Earl Unwill and his wife and daughter, and when they came to the upstairs story, the young Earl's chamberlains had already arrived at the court with their service, and were preparing all the rooms and supplying them with straw and fire. In a short while the bath was ready, and Geraint got into it, and his head was washed. Then the young earl arrived, one of forty ordained knights, what with his own men and guests from the tournament. And Geraint got out of the bath, and the earl asked him to go to the hall and eat. "'Where is Earl Unwell?' he replied, and his wife and daughter. 
They are in the upstairs chamber over there, said the Earl's Chamberlain, putting on the clothes the Earl has brought to them. So just for clarity, we have two people here. We have the young Earl from the castle, and that we have the old guy that Gradiant stayed with last night, who has now been named to us as Earl Unwill. Let the maiden wear nothing but her smock and linen mantle, Gradiant said, until she gets to Arthur's court, so that Gwenvar may dress her in whatever garment she wants. So the maiden did not get dressed. Then they all came to the hall and washed and went to sit and eat. This is how they sat. On one side of Geraint sat the young Earl and then Earl Unwell. On the other side of Geraint sat the maiden and her mother, and after that each one in order of rank. They ate and were served generously, and received an abundance of various dishes. They conversed, and the young Earl invited Geraint to be his guest the next day. No, between me and God, said Geraint, to Arthur's court I will go tomorrow with this maiden. And for long enough, I believe, Earl Unwill has been in poverty and misery, and it is mainly to try and increase maintenance for him that I am going. Lord, said the young Earl, it is not through any fault of mine that Unwill is without land. By my faith, said Geraint, he will not be without the land that is his unless sudden death takes me. Lord, he said, as regards any disagreement that has been between me and Unwill, I will gladly submit to your advice, since you are impartial between us in respect of what is right. I do not ask that he be given anything except what he is entitled to, said Geraint, together with his various losses from the time he lost his land until today. And I agree to that gladly for your sake, said the young earl. Good, said Geraint. All those here who should be vassals of Enwil, let them pay him homage here and now. All the men did so, and that settlement was agreed upon. His castle and his town and his land were relinquished to Unwill, and all that he had lost, even the smallest jewel that he had lost. Then Unwill said to Geraint, Lord, he said, the maiden you champion on the day of the tournament is ready to do your bidding, and here she is under your authority. I want nothing, he replied, except that the maiden remain as she is until she comes to Arthur's court, and I want Arthur and Guenovar to give the maiden away. The next day, they set out for Arthur's court. Geraint's adventure so far. And now that we've followed Geraint on his quest, we can return to Arthur. Now this is how Arthur hunted the stag. They assigned the hunting stations to the men and the dogs, and unleashed the dogs on the stag. And the last dog that was unleashed on it was Arthur's favourite dog. Kavash was his name. He left all the other dogs behind and caused the stag to turn. On the second turn, the stag came to Arthur's hunting station, and Arthur set upon it, and before anyone else could kill it, Arthur had cut off its head. Then the horn was sounded, announcing the kill, and then they all gathered together. Kadiriath came to Arthur and said to him, Lord, he said, Gwenovar is over there, and she is alone except for one maiden. Then ask Gildas, son of Carl, and all the clerics of the court to proceed with Guenevar to the court, said Arthur. That is what they did. Then they all set off and talked about the stag's head, to whom it should be given, one wanting to give it to the lady he loved best, another to the lady he loved best, and each one of the retinue and the knights quarrelling bitterly over the head. Then they arrived at the court. As soon as Arthur and Guenevar heard the quarrelling over the head, Guenevar said to Arthur, Lord, she said, 
This is my advice regarding the stag's head. Do not give it away until Geraint son of Erebin returns from the quest on which he has gone. And Gwenuvar told Arthur the purpose of the quest. Let that be done, gladly, said Arthur. They agreed on that. The next day, Gwenuvar arranged that watchmen were on the battlements ready for Geraint's arrival. After midday they could see a hunchback of a little man on a horse, and behind him a woman or a maiden, so they thought, on a horse, and behind her a big hunched knight, head hanging, dejected and wearing broken armour in poor condition. Before they were near the gate one of the watchmen came to Gwenuvar and told her what sort of people they could see, and the kind of state they were in. "'I do not know who they are,' he said. "'I do,' said Gwenuvar. "'That is the knight Geraint went after, and I think it likely that he is not coming of his own free will. And if Geraint caught up with him, then he has avenged at least the insults of the maiden.' Then, behold, the gatekeeper came up to Gwenuvar. "'Lady,' he said, "'there is a knight at the gate,' and no one has ever seen such a terrible sight to gaze upon as he. He is wearing broken armour, in poor condition, with the colour of his blood more conspicuous on it than its own colour. "'Do you know who he is?' she said. "'I do,' he replied. "'He is Edern, son of Niv, so he says. "'I do not know him myself.' Then Gwenhovar went to the gate to meet him, and in he came. Gwenhovar would have been distressed to see the state he was in, had he not permitted the dwarf to accompany him, it was so ill-mannered. Then Edern greeted Gwenuvar. "'May God prosper you,' she said. "'Lady,' he said, "'greetings to you from Geraint, son of Erbin, the best and bravest of men.' "'Did he confront you?' she said. "'Yes,' he said, "'and not to my advantage. But that was not his fault but mine, lady.' and greetings to you from Geraint, and in greeting you he has forced me to come here to do your will for the insult done to your maiden by the dwarf. Geraint himself has forgiven the insult done to him because of what he has done to me, for he thought that my life was in danger. But he placed a firm, bold, brave, warrior-like compulsion upon me to come here and make amends with you, lady. Alas, sir, where did he catch up with you? In the place where we were jousting and contending for a sparrowhawk in the town that is now called Cardiz, and there was with him by way of retinue only three very poor and shabby-looking people, namely a very old grey-haired man and an old woman and a beautiful young maiden, all dressed in old shabby clothes. And because Geraint professed love for the maiden, he took part in the tournament for the sparrowhawk, and said that maiden had a better claim to the sparrowhawk than this maiden who was with me. And because of that we jousted, and he left me lady as you now see me. Sir, said Gwenuvar, when do you think Geraint will arrive here? Tomorrow, lady, I think he will arrive, he and the maiden. Then Arthur came to him, and he greeted Arthur. May God prosper you, said Arthur. Arthur looked at him for a long time, and was horrified to see him in this state. He thought he recognised him, and asked him, Are you Edern, son of Neuth? Yes, lord, he replied, having suffered terrible misery and unbearable wounds. And he related the entire unhappy incident to Arthur. Yes, said Arthur, it is right for Gwenhovar to show you mercy, from what I hear. Whatever mercy you wish, I will show him, Lord, she said, since it is as great a disgrace to you, Lord, for me to be insulted as for you yourself. Here is what is most fitting as regards the matter, said Arthur. 
let the man have medical treatment until it is known whether he will live. And if he lives, let him make amends as judged by the nobleman of the court, and take sureties on that. But if he dies, the death of a young man so excellent as Edern will be more than enough as the insult price of a maiden. I am happy with that, said Guenulvar. Then Arthur went as guarantor for him, and Caradog son of Llyr, and Gwathlog son of Llenog, and Owain son of Nith, and Gwalchmai, and many besides that. Arthur had Morgan Tid summoned to him. He was chief of physicians. Take along Edur and son of Nith, and have a room prepared for him, and prepare medication for him as well as you would prepare for me if I were wounded, and let no one into his room to disturb him other than yourself and your apprentices who will be treating him. I will do that gladly, lord, said Morgan Tid. Then the steward said, Who should be entrusted, lord, with the care of the maiden? Gwenovar no handmaidens, Arthur replied, and the steward ordered it. Their story so far. And now we swap back to Geraint. The next day, Geraint came to the court. There were watchmen on the battlements sent by Gwenhuvar in case he should arrive without warning. The watchmen came to Gwenhuvar. Lady, he said, I think I can see Geraint and the maiden with him, and he is on horseback but wearing walking clothes. The maiden, on the other hand, I see her very white, or wearing something like a linen garment. Every woman get ready, and come to meet Geraint, to greet him and welcome him. Gwenhuvar went to meet Geraint and the maiden. When Geraint came to Gwenovar, he greeted her. "'May God prosper you,' she said, "'and welcome to you. "'And you have had a purposeful, profitable, "'successful and praiseworthy expedition. "'And may God repay you,' she said, "'for getting justice for me in such a brave manner.' "'Lady,' he said, "'I wanted to obtain justice for you, whatever the cost. "'And here is the maiden on whose account "'you have been freed from your disgrace.' "'Yes,' said Gwenovar, "'God's welcome to her.' and it is right for me to welcome her. They came inside and dismounted, and Geraint went to Arthur and greeted him. May God be good to you, said Arthur, and God's welcome to you. And even if Edern, son of Nith, has suffered grief and injuries at your hands, you have had a successful expedition. That was not my fault, said Geraint. Rather, it was due to the arrogance of Edern, son of Nith himself, for not giving his name. I would not leave him until I found out who he was, or until one of us should overcome the other. Sir, said Arthur, where is the maiden I hear is under your protection? She has gone with Gwenwavar to her room. Then Arthur went to see the maiden. And Arthur and his companions and everyone in the entire court welcomed the maiden, and all were certain that if the provision made for the maiden were to match her beauty, they would never see any one fairer than she. Arthur gave the maiden to Geraint, and the bond that was made at that time between a couple was made between Geraint and the maiden. The maiden had her choice of all Gwenovar's garments, and whoever saw the maiden in that chosen garment would see a graceful, fair, and beautiful sight. And that day and that night they spent with plenty of songs and an abundance of dishes and different kinds of drink and numerous games. And when they thought it was time to go to sleep, they went to bed. And in the room where Arthur and Gwenovar had their bed, a bed was made for Geraint and Enid, for Enid was the maiden's name. And that night, for the first time, they slept together. The next day, Arthur satisfied the suppliants on Geraint's behalf with generous gifts. 
the maiden became accustomed to the court, and companions of both men and women were brought to her, until no maiden in the island of Britain was better spoken of than her. Then Gwenrovar said, I did the right thing, she said, concerning the stag's head, that it should be given to no one until Geraint returned, and this is a fitting occasion to give it to Enid son of Unwil, the most praiseworthy maiden, and I am sure that there is no one who will begrudge it to her, for there is between her and every one nothing but love and friendship. Everyone applauded that, and Arthur too, and the stag's head was given to Enid. From then on her reputation increased, and because of that she had more companions than before. Meanwhile, Geraint from then on loved tournaments and hard combat, and he would return victorious from each one. This lasted for a year and two and three, until his fame had spread over the face of the kingdom. And with that, we will leave the story for today. Bitching About the Mabinogion is told by Gwen Verch David and produced by Amanda Martell. Take care, and thanks for listening.